2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, there's news flying 16 ways to Sunday, every different direction. The United States Senate is holding hearings right now on the insurrection in uh, on January 6th. The Senate Homeland Security Committee, chaired by Gary Peters of Michigan, and the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, chaired by Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, um, both uh, previous guests on this program on numerous occasions are are digging into what happened on the 6th, and we will be carrying much of that live on this program. I do want to cut away from that for just a moment though. First, uh, Representative Bill Pascrell Jr. is on the line with us. He, he's a, a member of the United States House of Representatives, represents the 9th District of New Jersey. He is the chair of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight. His website, Pascrell, dot You can tweet him at Bill Pascrell is on the line with us, and he's part of the group that's looking into Trump's tax returns, if I have this right. Representative Pascrell, thanks so much for joining us today. What is the consequence in your mind, or how consequential was this Supreme Court decision yesterday saying that yes, in fact, the tax returns of Donald Trump and all the associated bookkeeping and things that go along with it, including communications, can be turned over to Cyrus Vance, the, the district attorney of New York, and how is that going to affect you guys in the work? you're doing
3: well. it's interesting there are a number of cases tom and hello and thanks for having me on There a number of places i've been on this i've been on this for uh years uh some might say i'm a slow learner (laughs) but when i get my hands on something and i believe in it i'm going to stick with it and you and you're going to face face victories and you're going to face defeats while you're after the truth And I stayed with this through 19 resolutions on the House floor and on the floor when we had our Ways and Means Committees many times. And those resolutions all pointed to transparency. We've had the the president since Nixon provide for us their tax returns. Very few problems since Nixon put up a barrier. And since Nixon, uh, remember, said, you know, the government has the right to know if the president's a crook. Well, thank you. But we have a right to know because we want to avoid conflicts of interest. We want to avoid different situations that have occurred because of one's private life, one's business life. We're not out to simply peek behind the covers here because that's not our objective. And I could speak for myself. That certainly wasn't my objective. When I started this out, Tom, four years, five years ago now, On November the 19th, 2017, when I started out with this hearing, having those hearings through the uh, Ways and Means Committee, I went first to the chairman at the time, the Republicans were in the majority, uh, Kevin Brady of Texas, and asked him, let's do this together so I can't be accused of, and Democrats can't be accused of trying to make this a partisan issue. Your guy said he was going to give us these, and he said he had an audit, and he couldn't give us these, and that audit is still going on, Tom, so it's really BS when you look at it objectively, and I think that's Mm -hmm. what the government needs more of, transparency. That's what we need, so we know who our public officials are, and we know if they're scheming in private to to enrich themselves, and that's what... Much of what his four years was about, Trump enriching himself and his family
2: and his corporation. So well, he bragged about that during that the primaries. You're Excuse darn me. Right. He, yeah, he said, I'll, yeah, "I'll probably be the first person to ever run for president and make a profit doing it." <laughs> and he meant it. He meant it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> There's no two ways about it. You know, the Supreme Court has ruled. We waited for a long time. That the case in New York, and, and by the way, Tom, as an aside, on February the 19th, 2017, the famous year of the hoax of tax cuts and spreading them around to everybody, which was a joke. Talk about hoaxes. The president, he used that word more than anybody I ever known. And it was the biggest hoax we've ever seen. And they were turned, that turned out of office, remember, 2018. We need tax fairness. We need people to pay what's what really they should be paying, depending upon their assets and their income. And we got to know for our president if he doesn't have any secret deals with foreign countries and companies in foreign companies in foreign countries. And we have every right to know that. And there is a law in the tax code, sixty-one hundred three, a. A to F. There is a law that states very specifically that there are three committees in the Congress that can ask for these tax cuts, not only from the president, but from anybody in the executive branch of government. Going back to the Teapot Dome scandal incident, which happened in 1924, which said that there are these three committees that can ask for the uh, members of the executive branch of government for reason, and then they can vote together if they, give that, they get that permission to get the taxes to make them public. That's another... That strategy. was because of the
2: Teapot Dome scandal back in the day.
3: Yeah, that's what came out of that Teapot Dome scandal when Secretary Fall, who was Secretary of the Interior at the time, was making his own private deals with public lands in Wyoming. Yep. And he was caught you know, Democrats were involved and Republicans were involved. they were going to have a party I guess on these on the oil reserves in naval territory, the United States Navy. That's, that was probably the biggest scandal in the history of the country. This will be even bigger. I, I made that prediction many many moons ago.
2: So yeah I think you're right.
3: this was in new York. I said on that day that we're going after the tax returns. That the states have a, probably a quicker chance or a better chance to get the taxes because they have—they're not under federal rules. The courts themselves and what their laws are, as long as they're not in conflict necessarily with federal law, that they can get yeah. these things even quicker. So that's Representative Pastorell.
2: Forgive the interruption, but we're going to hit a hard break here in about a minute and a half. Um, you are the chair of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight. Are, are you going to, Is yes, your sir. committee going to be one of the committees that's going to be looking into Trump's tax returns? And, 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 and how, how is Congress going to deal with this?
3: Well, that's interesting. Richie Neal, the chairman of the Ways, Ways and Means Committee, Tommy, he brought this uh, case during the election of last year on behalf of the Ways and Means Committee, because we're one of the committees, one of the three committees that have the right under 6103 to go after anybody in the executive branch of government's taxes, because we feel there may be something really to look at for the public good and and to increase the possibilities of transparency. So Richie's uh, waiting, and I talk to him all the time as my chairman, and uh, many have criticized him for going slow on this, and I think he's been very methodical and has done the right thing. And I've been the big mouth about it, but I mean, Richie has been right on methodically as our chairman. And I, you know, he's waiting for the courts uh, to decide whether or not uh, certain obstacles that have been put away by Mr. Trump are gonna be set aside because they're meaningless and frivolous. So I'm waiting for our case to come forward too But I said that the states were going to have a good chance, and here they are.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, in fact, that, I mean, it's coming out of New York. Representative Bill Pascrell, Jr., the congressman representing the 9th District of New Jersey, chair of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight, pascrell.house.gov, Twitter, at Bill Pascrell. Representative Pascrell, thanks so much for dropping by today, and good luck with your work.
3: It's an honor, Tom. Keep up. You keep Thank up the good work. I'm up at Jersey, th- but I know all about you.
2: <laughs> Thank you, sir. This it's great talking with you. Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Bill Pascrell, we're going to now rejoin the uh, Joint Homeland Security Committee and uh, Senate Rules Administration Committee's hearings into what happened on January 6th.
1: is we all watched this summer. In fact, this committee at Homeland Security had a hearing on the assaults on a federal courthouse in Portland and went through and all of us saw for a month individuals just packed that courthouse day after day after day. And we saw the techniques that were used. Some of those same techniques were used by individuals that came in here. I'm not saying it was the same individuals, some of those same techniques of trying to be able to work defense okay. to be able to find it, to be able to find a way to be able to attack officers. So challenge is that we saw that, there, that this was rising, I guess. People were watching on TV, people attacking a federal institution all summer long. So it is a follow-up that we're going to have to do in the days ahead of how to be able to get less than lethal capability, find ways to be able to stop any kind of assault, a number of individuals. Yeah, appreciate your service. appreciate very much officer that continue to be able to serve because they've not had a gap. They've not had a break since that time you still interact with him. at least I hope you do, uh, I would encourage you to pass on from us our gratitude. We're all looking at this as a hindsight 2020 saying, why couldn't you read the tea leaves uh, at this particular scrap of intelligence that came in the night before, none of us saw it. Uh, so we're grateful as they continue to do and let's find the lessons we can learn. No, The Board of Congress, they're a
0: hell of a... Okay. Thank you, Senator Langford. Next up, thank you for your patience, Senator Carper
2: yeah I might, I might this like is senator carper a Democrat Democrat from is
4: a delaware, governor of the first state of delaware for eight years i recall numerous instances in in which i uh fall on the dollar national guard in emergencies they could have been the floods blizzard ice storms drought you name it more uh, i know the importance of uh, the valuable work that our citizens have done for decades in the first state, other states around the country as we have learned in contrast with every other States National Guard in the country, the D.C. National Guard operates differently. from the highest level of the federal government.
5: Uh, we just uh, that, that just not have to take place in other states. So, real hindrance to us in terms of response, and ability to call up.
4: Thanks, sir uh, Thanks for that response. Could you just take a minute to share with us your thoughts on whether having uh, uh, the National Guard under the command of a mayor or even a governor of a neighboring state might help the, the D.C. Metropolitan Police? Coordinating with the federal authorities to better protect the city and its citizens, and uh, along with uh, federal installations during assault like the one. For yes, I think I think we
5: certainly uh, should. Um, we found we you know even on that day on January the sixth, prior to any movement of the National Guard from the assignments that they had been given, the traffic posts uh, again that required approval at the highest levels federal government, the Army and the Secretary of Defense, in order to just move the National guard or change the mission in essence. So, uh, yes, I think that that should certainly be something that falls under.
6: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
4: Senator Carper uh, of, of Delaware, Delaware uh, interviewing, uh, interviewing. In your testimony, we are listening to Senator Carper of, of
2: Delaware state. interviewing the uh, chief of police the for the uh, city of, de- of uh, Washington, D.C.
4: Rather a lack of actual intelligence that would have allowed the U.S. Or the Capitol Police to properly prepare. As I was looking through Mr. Stinger's testimony, and former Sergeant at Arms for the U.S. Senate, he states and I want to quote, he says, the sharing of information and resources is paramount for success. That's it. That's his quote. I strongly agree with that statement. Uh, Mr. Sun, uh, what went wrong leading up to January 6th with regard to gathering and sharing actual intelligence? Why do you think the likelihood of a truly devastating attack was so badly underestimated, Mr. Sun?
7: I think as you uh, start to hear some some of the federal agencies on the investigations that are on, they're finding evidence that this was a coordinated attack uh, that had been coordinated among uh, numerous states some time in advance of this, that's the information that would have been extremely helpful for them to detect some type of level of coordination that would have given us the in- indication that we're gonna see more than just a may become violent, may be inclined uh, to violence uh, type of type of preparations. You look at it now, you see, you know, knowing what occurred, you see what type of resources were brought to bear around the, uh, around the Capitol. That type of information could have give us uh, efficient advance warning plan for more of an,
4: the great uh, Paul Newman movie, uh, Cool Hand Loop, probably a lot of people, certainly in my generation, remember, what we have here is a failure to communicate. I was right at the end of the film. What, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Uh, do we have a failure to communicate here? Where, where, and I'm not one who's crazy about like pointing fingers and dying blind, but to whom do we assign that uh, failure to communicate?
7: I believe that question's for me, sir. What I, what I look at is, you know, we have a process for communication. And being a consumer of intelligence, I look at it more of, you know, we're, I think there's a, a failure of having a wide enough lens look at what are the current threats that we're facing uh, in, in, in a nation uh, now from some of the domestic extremists. I think the communications processes are there. They need to be worked on a little bit. But I think the intelligence community
4: needs to uh, broaden its app. What it flex. We now know in, in retrospect that the the, uh, the gathering on uh, uh, the the rioters on January 6th didn't begin on January 5th or the 4th or the 3rd. It started like weeks before and uh, was fomented and encouraged, as, as we now know, by, by among others, our our, our, our president. And somehow that uh, all of that work and all the intelligence that was gathered by the FBI and other homeland security never got it, found its way to people who right here in D.C. could have used it the most, have uh, avoided the tragedy of January the 6th. Thank you. Our, our thanks to the, particularly the, the officers of the Capitol Police and others who joined them in trying to protect us in this capital on that, that day.
8: I know um, we have uh, several members ready to go and we uh, want you to go uh, as quickly as possible, but there's been a request from our witnesses who have been here a long time. We could uh, give them a five minute break and we will reconvene uh, five minutes. Question. We will recess for five minutes.
2: So the committee just took a five-minute break, and you know, it's it's been pretty amazing. I was astonished to hear Ron Johnson of all people—you know, the, the biggest apologist for Trump and I mean, just uh, all Trumpism and all that, all this, all that kind of stuff. I was just astonished to hear him say, "I want to hear all. I want to see all these people prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law." Um, apparently, you know, the memo has changed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty astonishing stuff. Uh, this is supposed to be a five-minute break, so presumably at the other, on the other side of our, of our break, which is coming up in about three minutes, we will be continuing the hearings, we'll, we'll see. My uh, op-ed that I published this morning over at TomHarbin.medium.com is all about Republican lies, basically, how the Republican Party needs to be uh, thrown into the dustbin of history, Because of all the lies they've told us, they lied to us about COVID. My best friend nearly died from it. You know, it's this old joke on the internet. Why is it that America can land a helicopter on Mars but can't keep power on in Texas? Well, because the scientists run the project on Mars and the Republicans run Texas. You know, Reagan lied to us about AIDS. We've seen this before, by the way. There was this Order of the Star Spangled Banner that took over Massachusetts. So they were called the Know Nothing Party. But they lied to us that COVID was like the flu. They lied to us about voter fraud. They lied to us about trickle down economics. They lied to us that student debt builds character. They lied to us that America has the best health care system in the world when tens of thousands of people die every year for lack of health care. And we have the worst infant and maternal mortality rates in the world. They lied to us that guns keep us safe when in reality they've produced an epidemic of school shootings and suicides. They lied to us. The tax cuts for billionaires and big corporations to help out the little guy. They lied to us. The unions hurt working people. They lied to us about global warming. I mean, it goes on. To the Tom Hartman program. So we'll see. You know how the hearing is going on the other side of this break, and uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we'll we'll be taking your calls as well.
8: media the threats included things such as comments such as be ready to fight the
2: Humboldt attacks is on the capitol the it's blast the blast senate Blanc. homeland security committee In- uh, chaired by gary peters of michigan the and the Obama senate Obama rules and administration, administration committee chaired In- by uh, amy S- klobuchar Obama of minnesota violent. right now uh, senator Trump Trump jeff Merkley or 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 is uh interrogating the former head of the capitol police
8: uh steven sund we die nothing else achieve this goal did you get that fbi intelligence report I addressed that right when we started.
7: The United States Capitol Police Department did get that report. I was just advised of that in the last 24 hours. That report made it from the Joint Terrorism Task Force over to our Intelligence Bureau, over to a uh, sergeant there, and uh, uh, ceased moving forward at that point. Uh, no leadership, self-included, over at Capitol Police was aware of that at the
8: time of the event. So there is, you've referred in your testimony uh, to the individual who is the head, uh, John Donahue, director of intelligence on the US Capitol Police. And did did he receive that report, but he did not pass it on to, to you as head of the USCP?
7: Again, I have no knowledge that he received that report over to a official the rank sergeant and didn't move any.
8: Um, okay, well that's very concerning. Were there not procedures for the in- Head of the intelligence on the U.S. Capitol Police get the intelligence report to review it especially when there were significant other indications of potential violence and, and make sure that I'm sure that's something that
7: they're looking at in their uh, after action yes there is a process for it uh, but again that's
8: as I mentioned before that was raw intelligence. I know you're saying that, that folks are looking at that now but my question was did you have a for important intelligence to be brought directly to your attention and did that system break down? And that's why you did not see warnings about blood being spilled, get violent, all be ready to come and die. Yes, there is a process
7: in place to make sure that critical important information is brought Mm -hmm. uh, up to the the leadership. Again, that was uh, something that would have gone through the development and the analysis of that
8: information. Okay, so you're saying the intelligence side of U.S. Capitol Police failed to get that into your hands. Let me turn to uh, rules of engagement. So officers are out perimeter which you've, you've referred to, and you have those kind of uh, perimeter fence that look like bike rack. Uh, and in a normal situation, those help peaceful protesters. this is where you stop. Was there any sort of um, discussion uh, or training about what to do if protesters started picking those things up and opening holes in that perimeter. What were the rules, if I'm a police officer that day on the line, capital, how was I supposed, was I trained like, what do I do when when those perimeter free? do I use spray, do I use a stun gun, do I use tear gas? Uh, what, what am I, do I have a clear sense of exactly how I'm supposed to respond there, there is a rules of engagement, there's a use of
7: force uh, policy, and there's also a civil disobedience unit training that has to do with when you have a non-compliant group, how you deal with non-compliance and gaining compliance, which would include uh, hand control techniques, the application of chemical, uh, chemical
8: spray, and then impact. So on that day, you issued rules of engagement that included what specifically? I'm an officer, what was I supposed to do if those, those barricades were breached? There's rules and engagements that exist. They weren't ex- uh, issued just that day. They existed. In- they don't in- vary from event to event based on threat analysis? No, no, sir. So that perimeter said got larger, which meant police officers spread out over larger areas. Once it's what are the directions to the police uh, on the team to be able to retreat to a defensible point? So
7: what we had is we had what's called a system established, you have an incident command for both the exterior, the resources on the exterior of the building that would provide those um, officers, those CDU units with specific directions on where to go, what's the next step, upper West Terrace, which I believe which is what they were told to do, uh, as well as an incident command system inside the building handling the session.
8: So I'm out on the, the, the plaza, the crowd forms past me. I have an assigned place to go to retreat to that is defensible the incident commander would be providing direction to field on what, where to retreat. So no, no advance information. And how do you avoid the situation of those who are guarding a door, closing and locking the door and leaving police officers stranded outside of that locked perimeter? So your question, how do you prevent that? Is that what you're saying? How do you prevent that? There aren't, if you've got folks who are Guarding a door and protesters trying to get through it, so they're trying to lock that and prevent it. And there isn't a pre-plan how to deal with officers who are stranded outside of those doors. How's that handled? Do you have drills on that? Have set instructions on that? Again, that's something I would look for the on-site
7: official, the on-site incident commander, to provide those officers with directions where to uh,
8: relocate. Okay, let me put it this way: Have you ever held a drill to respond to this? This situation where a crowd pushes past the interior barricade? Not not this level of uh, situation, no, sir. To what level have you had such drills? We've, we've
7: done uh, various exercises with people, you know, um, activities on the
8: grounds, during civil disobedience training, how to handle a riotous groups. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to turn just seconds left to our, our former sergeant of arms for the, the Senate, Mr. Stenger. Uh, at the time that the... We were in the in the Senate chamber, and the protesters, the rioters, uh, reached the uh, perimeter of the Senate. Uh, there was a very quick rush to try to lock doors, and there there were people searching for how do you lock these many entrances on the balcony. Have there ever been any sort of a drill uh, with the Sergeant of Arms team or with in partnership with Capitol Police on how to secure the doors? Uh, to the chamber as a last point of defense? Uh, yes, sir. They, at least once a
5: year, they hold a chamber action drill uh, where they would work together with the uh, Capitol Police and uh, the doorkeepers to do a lockdown so they know how to, when, when they should lock down. And do so that is done as an
8: actual them. drill where people have to run, get the keys, lock the doors, know what. Doors are supposed to guard. Or are they supposed to guard them from the inside or from the outside, and so forth? Yes, sir. That's and when the was conjecture. the last such drill of that nature? Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to go back and check. Try and do it once a year. I Think I'm out of time, and I thank you very much to the chairman. Is Senator uh, mm-hmm. Senator Scott recognized? Yeah.
2: That was Jeff Merkley, now uh, Senator Tim Scott of, uh, what is it, South Carolina or North Carolina is
9: work. Uh, were you the only one involved, Sergeant Arms
7: involved? I believe so. I'd have to go back and pull that information. We were working on a number of different uh, aspects of it at the time, but I had my general counsel as well as our operations working on
9: the request coordination with what was the What was the purpose of the original um, National Guard that you put up? And what was the re what was the rationale? What was the threat assessment? So when just to make sure I understand, you're talking
7: about the National Guard that came sixth?
9: No, the 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 presence that stayed after.
7: Oh, the one that stayed after. Um so what was the, uh, the threat what was assessment? That, what was the threat
9: assessment? Why why was it set up that they would now months on end? Well again, beyond you know, uh, the eighth, again, you know, my, my
7: departure date was the eighth, so the information I have is up until the eighth. Uh, it was based. They were putting them in place based on the mass insurrection that we had on the sixth. Uh, I wasn't aware of any additional in, in, intelligence at that about uh, possible um, violent extremists regrouping,
9: staging another attack. So, so you haven't you haven't seen anything that uh, that would give us a threat assessment. Now that we have a turn, that we need to have the National Guard. So president. my error. I thought this was not, Tim Scott. It's Rick Scott it. of Florida no, sir, I, I, uh, you know, asking the
2: questions. We, we're going to hit a break here in a half a minute.
9: Anybody else that's that, uh, any of the others that are here to testify, do you have any uh, you have any predecessors being the reason that we have the National Guard here today? And is everybody is that a no from everybody. No one has any, any idea why we have the National Guard here.
5: Well, uh, this is Chief Conte, Yeah, My uh, guess is in response to all the things that uh, that have happened, but to your question specifically about Joint oversight hearings
2: on uh, security failures during the attack, January 6th, on our Capitol building. Um, this is the, the Senate involved? Homeland Security Committee and the Senate here? Rules no, sir, and Administration I mean, Committee, uh, chaired by Gary Peters and Amy Klobuchar. Sure any- We'll continue with the hearings after this. You're listening All
5: to Tom to Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio Medicine and audio and archives. Uh, share with, no.
2: And uh, uh, Representative Scott of Florida is uh, uh, I can't say that questioning I can't the head of the uh, D.C. Metropolitan uh, police, police right now, Robert Conti. Uh,
5: we have talked about you know, intelligence in terms of what we expect to see. see uh, there are several long calls that, uh, that take place between... The police department and other uh, federal partners, but uh, again, the capital uh, police and that structure there—something that uh, you know, they're not—they're not, they're not um, beholden to the mayor of the District of Columbia or anything like that. So we have changed the information that we have, but again, I just have not seen anything specifically uh, from them that suggests the fence still being the way that it is now. And I should add also, sir, that I mean, obviously, I think that there needs to be. Reimagining of the security posture uh, there, something certainly uh, should be there, but I'm not exactly sure. if The answer to that is razor wire and the deployment uh, that we currently see.
9: Former Sergeant Arms, you, you don't have any any reason. No one's given you any. You've not seen any information that would suggest that we have a threat, an eminent threat that we need the National Guard. Uh,
10: uh, I have not.
9: And I I have not either. I
5: same resigned on the 7th and have been gone since, so I have no information.
9: So who would be making the decision that the National Guard scene needs? Where would the threat of session come from? What do you know?
7: I'd maybe look at the uh, current leadership over at maybe the Capitol Police in conjunction with the current Sergeant Arms.
9: Okay, so it would be the Capitol Police. And the city and the act sergeant arm. That is correct. For to give you the current information on that.
7: And would they coordinate with uh, the metropolitan police? Well, if there was uh, intelligence uh, that would indicate the need for uh, such activity, uh, it would usually be shared with our partner, our local law enforcement, would share our, our perimeter and our borders.
9: And if there was a threat out there, would that be public? Would would there be some public information that they would put out normally uh, again
7: that all has to do with the nature of the threat the threat the classification level of the threat but again that would be uh, shared with law enforcement within the District of Columbia through through the joint uh, JTtF as well as the uh, executive board for the JTtF
9: I, I mean I'm just I'm just flabbergasted that that not you don't know now, but there's no public information about why we have all this all these National Guards here. I mean, does that surprise you? Uh, it's it's a
7: significant uh, security deployment. Again, I believe it's it's based on the the facts of what they they've seen. You know, hindsight being what it is, um, it, it's the facts of what it, what occurred on uh, January 6th, unprecedented insurrection.
8: Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Uh, Senator Senator Hassan, uh, you're recognized for your question.
0: Thank you, Mr. Chair. And uh, thanks to all of the witnesses for being here today. Uh, I especially want to take a moment to acknowledge... This is Senator Maggie Hassan of, of New, New Hampshire, Capitol Democrat. Police, ...law enforcement and other employees of the Capitol who bravely work to protect our democracy on January 6th and who have done so much work to restore our capital since that day. I also want to thank all of the families of our law enforcement and uh, Capitol Hill staff for what they went through watching this unfold real time. I want to start with a question to Chief Conti, if I could. Uh, Chief, Washington, DC is obviously no stranger to large assemblies and protests. So what is the standard process for protests in Washington, D.C. when it comes to interagency coordination and information sharing? And following the events of January 6, what recommendations do you have for proven coordination and information sharing?
5: Thank you for the question. Uh, there are several dis- discussions, uh, meetings that take place between the municipal police department as well as a federal uh, partner.
2: Right now, Robert Conti, who is the uh, head of the or the acting chief of the D.C. Metro Police is being questioned by Maggie Hassan, who is the Democratic senator from New Hampshire. Here is uh, Mr. Conti.
5: Metropolitan Police Department, U.S. Park Police, U.S. Capitol Police, U.S. Secret Service. With respect to the intelligence, again, you know, our partners from the FBI, they're often a part of those part of those discussions. I think Uh, that the thing kind of going forward that uh, certainly needs to be looked at uh, with respect to specific intelligence uh, has been outlined throughout some of the testimony uh, today, uh, when there is specific information uh, that warrants us to perhaps posture uh, differently, uh, our notification system uh, needs to be different. Uh, The JTTF distribution list that we have is not something that is a, a monitored list Uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that would generate immediate response uh, to that. Uh, When those uh, communications are sent out, uh, there are staff members who at some point will will, will get to that information. But I think that, uh, again, that has been laid out, you know, when we're talking about something uh, of this magnitude that could potentially happen and ultimately did happen in our city, uh, it should posture us to move differently, Uh, perhaps with uh, convening phone calls, you know, immediately not, you know, counting on on an email or something, making it through the chain to the levels that it needs to make, you know, for other decisions to be made.
0: Well, thank you for that answer. Uh, One of the things I would observe is sometimes ahead of events like just scheduling ongoing uh, check with leadership at all of the agencies that need to coordinate uh, can have the effect of sharing information real. Uh, I want to move to a question uh, Mr. Stenger, Mr. Irving, and uh, Mr. Sun, the Secretary of Homeland Security has the authority to designate events with national and international significance as national special security events. But that didn't happen for January 6. Even given the threat information readily available ahead of time, designated events are eligible for expanded federal or related security of the event. So, prior to January 6 did anyone from the Department of Homeland Security contact you about a potential national special security event designation? And we'll start with you, Mr. Sund, and then
7: the other. Thank you. No, I am not aware of anybody from DHS reaching out uh, and requesting, you know, they want to follow up, this want to be a national special security event, uh, or if we were gonna request that to be, or if they were gonna um, identify and designate what they call a SEER, a special event right. rating, uh, to the event.
0: Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stenger and Mr. Irving. Uh, no, no one uh, contacted. Thank you. And the state, me, Senator, no contact uh, with me my office. Well, thank you for those answers. I look forward to following up with the Department of Homeland Security about this during the next hearing on this topic.
8: Thank you, uh, Senator Hassan. Uh, Chair now recognizes Senator Hawley for his questions.
11: Th- thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to begin by Saying this a is special thank you and a Josh special to Captain Mendoza who shared from q mister Sund if I could just return to to the question about the National Guard activation I I just I'm a little bit confused about the timeline here and I want to ask you Mr. Irving some questions just so I can get this clear in my own head I'm looking at your written testimony you testified that you spoke with Mr. Irving at 109, Actually, both of the Sergeants-at-Arms at arms at 109 p.m. Now, I understand there's a little bit of dispute about the timeline here, but you you do say that Mr. Irving advised you that he needed to run it, namely the request to the National Guard, he needed to run it up the chain of command. Have I got that right? That is correct, sir. Okay, Mr. Irving, could I just ask you, when Mr. Sun says that you told him you needed to run it up the chain so, of command... So, so
2: far... To whom uh the uh, senator from Moscow, Ron Ron uh, Johnson of Wisconsin, I, 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 has uh, read a statement suggesting that it was Antifa and and provocateurs who attacked the Capitol. Uh, senator Hawley, the senator from QAnon, is uh, is speaking right now. It's getting interesting. This is the uh, the hearings into what happened on January 6th. We'll continue.
5: I had everyone with
6: me. You're listening to senator, Tom Hartman.
2: Welcome back. Tom Hartwood here with you. Well, it was a fascinating hearing. There was you know, a little bit of kind of boring back and forth and tit and tat and all that kind of stuff. But but bottom line, the chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, says he reached out to his boss, the sergeant at arms at 109 p.m. as the outer perimeter was being breached and said, we need help. This is an emergency. And that guy testified today that uh, he didn't remember the phone call. He's a former Secret Service guy. I don't remember the call. Somebody's lying. Something's going on here. Something's going on that's bigger than just what it appears on the surface. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, We heard from Senator Ron Johnson, the uh, Republican from Moscow, excuse me, from uh, Wisconsin, uh, saying that, uh, you know, this this was an enthusiastic shot. Festive was the word that he used. And he read from some weird document from someplace, uh, some, you know, some person, some commentator, that this was What was what was the phrase (laughs) that this was Antifa, that there were people of a variety of political perspectives? You know, I think, though, that the broad consensus is that uh, this was planned. Parts of this were a military operation. How the uh, uh, Robert Conte, the acting head of the D.C. Metro Police, described it and this was no mistake. This was no accident. The one thing that I didn't hear, and maybe I missed it because I didn't hear every said thing that was said. There was parts of this hearing that went on before I came on the air that I missed, and, and there were moments when it was on the air when I was having to do other things here that I'm, you know, I missed some of the testimony, but maybe you heard it. If so, let me know. But. I didn't hear anybody say that uh, they felt that Donald Trump was responsible for this or, or even a, a softer way of saying that, which is that we never expected that the president would suggest to people that they should march down to the capitol building, well, uh, you know, words to that effect. Um, so uh, I'm wondering, you know, what were the high and low points for you? Um, th- those broadly for me, I mean, the testimony of the uh, one female police officer, and my apologies, I'm not recalling her name and I I wasn't in a position to write it down at the time, uh, talking about how she still has chemical burns on her face as a result of being bear sprayed by the thugs in this crowd and how she was treated. She's black and how she was treated. Amy Klobuchar in her remarks pointed out that this was clearly a white supremacist crowd, that this was a racist crowd, that this, I would say, this was a fascist crowd. Of course, this is what Donald Trump brought to American politics at the federal level, white supremacy, and, and has his whole entire life. From, you know, refusing to rent when he was running rentals for his father to black people back in the, back in the 60s, to calling for the execution of the Central Park Five when they were absolutely innocent and have been proved innocent. And in fact, somebody else has confessed to the crime. He still holds to that, to claiming that Barack Obama could not possibly be a legitimate president because obviously he couldn't have been born in the United States. He's got to be a stalking horse put into place by what? The Soviet Union? God only knows. To, you know, throwing, uh, tearing brown children from their parents and putting them in cages for years and then just giving them away, losing them, selling them off to the highest bidder. God only knows. So I see this as a beginning. I thought it was a fairly uh, weak beginning in that everybody was trying to retain bipartisanship and nobody was willing, as far as I could tell. And again, I'll pick up your phone calls in just a sec, but it didn't seem like anybody was really saying what I think is the real issue, which is that the Republican Party and Donald Trump as its exemplar Republican Party has become over the last 40 years, the party of lies. This is how they govern, right? They lied to us about COVID. They said it was just like the flu and like magic, it would soon, di- soon disappear. Well, that nearly killed my best friend, as I write about over on, on Medium.com. Um, they lied to us about voter fraud and they're passing. Now you've got over 200 pieces of legislation in 31 states right now being considered that will make it harder for people to vote, particularly people who live in big cities, particularly people who are black or Hispanic or Native American. They lied to us about trickle economic, trickle down economics so that they could hang on to all their all their money. They lied to us about who won the 2020 election. And, and Trump started this lie. In fact, he started it even before the election was held, saying that if he lost, it had to be voter fraud. And now his co- Republican co-conspirators against democracy continue to ec- echo this lie. You had Stephen Scalise, uh, the number two Republican in the House of Representatives, the guy who, when he was running for the House of Representatives from Louisiana, said that he was David Duke without the baggage, right? David Duke without the hood. Uh, refusing to say that Joe Biden won in a free and fair election. This is now the position of at least 150 of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. It's broadly become the position of the entire Republican Party. And certainly is the position of the leader of the Republican Party, Rona uh, uh, Rona Romney McDaniel. So they lied to us about the January 2020 election. And that lie led right to the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. They lied to us saying that student debt builds character when, in fact, it's preventing young people from buying homes, starting businesses and starting families. They lied to us that America has the best healthcare system in the world when in reality tens of thousands of Americans die unnecessarily every year for lack of access to health care and we have the worst infant and maternal mortality death rates in the world. They lied to us that guns keep us safe when in reality they've produced an epidemic of school shootings and suicides. They lied to us that tax cuts for billionaires and big corporations were the best way to help out the little guy. They lied to us that unions hurt working people. They lied to us about global warming, saying it's caused by natural phenomena when their buddies and campaign donors are making trillions in profits, pumping carbon into our atmosphere. They lied to us about massive military spending, greater than the next 10 nations combined, saying, well, that provides security to our people. But a national health care system, free college education, decent wages for workers, those don't provide security. You've got to have military they lied to us that a robust minimum wage hurts businesses. When all around the world, countries with much higher minimum wages than ours have vibrant economies. And our own economy, in fact, was at its best in the 1960s when the, when the minimum wage, if you were inflation, you know, in, uh, inflation adjusted to today's dollars would be about 18 bucks an hour. They have brought us lies that have amplified racism. They have brought us lies that have amplified misogyny, the hatred of women. They have brought us lies that have impoverished our working class over 40 years. They have brought us lies that have brought us a dirtier environment. They have brought us lies that have seen our public lands being sold off to their donor cronies in the extractive industries, in the mining industries, in the oil, coal, and gas industries. And they have lied to us in a way that has left an entire generation, I'd say two generations now of young people, the two most recent generations, paralyzed by student debt. And then on top of that, this big lie about COVID has led to one half million dead Americans. More than all the people who died in World War I, who died in World War II, who died in the Iraq War, who died in the Vietnam War, who died in the Afghanistan War, who died in the Grenada War, who died in all our little wars, you know, in Libya, you know, our illegal wars during Reagan in Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala had all those dead Americans together since the beginning of the 20th century. And Donald Trump's lies about COVID and his Republican co-conspirators, who continue to pitch these lies, like Kristi Noem, you know, the governor of South Dakota, have killed more than a half a million of us. This is the Tom Hartman program. Anyhow, enough of my rant. We'll pick up your phone calls right after this. Hunter in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Hunter, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind today?
6: Well, uh, on the, the hearings today, one thing I don't understand is the uh, where was Secret Service? You know, as far as any time I've been around any presidents, uh, Clinton, uh, Secret Service is all over the place, and it's hard to yep. believe that. And then I never hear him ever mention Kamala Harris where was she at and what happened to her you know it's all about the vice president and I find it really hard to believe that they let that that crowd get that close to the vice president and so to me it you know what once again I don't want to sound like the conspiracy theorist but it, it does sound like it was set up to happen that way you know as far as the police and protection being all set down.
2: Well, that and, was another uh, thing I didn't they- hear, Hunter. And I was waiting to hear somebody bring this up. And and I, I know these hearings are going to continue as time goes along. But I want to know why Donald Trump put Christopher Miller in charge of the Defense Department after he lost his job, after Donald Trump lost the election. Why did he put Chris Miller in charge of as the the acting Secretary of Defense? And then why did Chris Miller issue this memo saying that you may not defend the Capitol to the DC National Guard without my specific, you know, permission. You may not give helmets or tear gas to the Capitol Police. You may not assist them in any kind of police function. You may not help them arrest anybody. You may not assist them in crowd control. I mean, the memo is out there, you know, I've, I've published a, a copy of it. It's a, nobody, not only is nobody disputing, it's now been authenticated. You know, why was nobody saying, why was this stand-down order issued by the acting secretary of defense, the guy that Trump hand-picked to put in there after he lost the election? You know, I, I, it stinks to me, Hunter.
6: Yeah, yes, it does. And uh, that's why, I, and the way Trump just automatically said January 6th, be there, it'll be wild. And I mean, the minute he said that I was watching TV, the minute he said it live, and I knew what he meant, and I knew it was coming, and it, and, and it all came true. And um yeah, and so that makes me uh, very suspicious. And when you hear Ron Johnson sit there and try to turn it around and blame it on Pelosi, and it's an inside job that way. No, that's just, you know, speak. you know. That guy is yeah. so sad.
2: Well, Ron you know, Johnson has been amplifying, you know, foreign propaganda, Russian and other uh, foreign propaganda, oh, to, to, as far as I can tell, his entire career.
6: Yeah, yeah, he came into office just getting rid of Russ Feingold and all the Koch Brother money and everything was to do that. Because Russ Feingold at least was trying to do campaign finance, one of the best senators ever. And it's so sad. Uh, Another thing, when you go back to the stuff you're talking about, besides the hearing today about the Republicans and the 40 years, if people will really go back in history and look at the connections of Alan Doe's, and uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and then how you look in the past and see what they really were about. You know, you're right, 40 years, these guys have been lying to us. Conspiracy theory was yeah. the coin phrase yeah. by Alan and, and, Doe, and longer in of... some ways, yeah. Oh, of course, longer, yeah. yeah it was, yeah. it was before, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we go on and on, but no, thank I'm, you I'm with you, Hunter.
2: I'm sorry we're out of time, but I gotta run, yeah. Thanks for the call. up your calls and your thoughts on uh, you know, what we saw today and heard today with these hearings. Jim in Detroit and Pontiac, actually, Michigan. Hey, D- hey Jim, what's up?
10: Uh, thank you for everything you do. Uh, a couple of other callers in previous shows have uh, uh, alluded to the fact that Mike Pence, being the vice president, also has a contingent of military with him that carries the football, a second football. Right. Which means that they ha- they have heavily armed guards around them at all times, <clears throat> which is also something that Donald Trump obviously knows. So, uh, what about the possibility that he encouraged <clears throat> many of his followers to get to to go in and go after Mike Pence, knowing full well? that if they had got anywhere close to him or that football, those armed guards would have pulled out automatic weapons and uh, wiped out many, many of them, dozens, maybe even a hundred, who knows. And that would be something that Donald Trump could use as, in future rallies to hold all those people up as martyrs. Hmm. <laughs> that's just a, I, I, I wouldn't put anything I, past Trump at all, nothing. It just occurs to me that's yeah, what kind of a maniac he really is. He could have done something like
2: yeah. that. Yeah. Same here. I, you know, it, it certainly appears that Trump, well, I mean, we knew. It was not a secret. It was, it was on live television that, that there was a gallows outside the, the Capitol building, that people were looking to hang Mike Pence. Um, Trump had to know that. You know, there was lots of intelligence inside the building. There are cameras and microphones everywhere in the Capitol building. He's president of the United States. If he didn't know what was going on and what these people were thinking and what they were planning and who they were going after, um, well, I just don't find it credible. I don't find it possible. So the idea that he actually thought if his mob killed Mike Pence, that might be the ticket to his continuing as president for another four years, I don't think is so far outside the realm of possibility. It's not something that, you know, mainstream commentators are fond of pointing out, but they allude to it kind of in metaphor frequently. Um, So, Jim, I'm with you. Thank you very much for the call. Michael in uh, Cocoa, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's up?
12: Uh, Hi, Mr. Hartman. Uh, My question is, the surgeons of arms of both the House and the Senate testified today And what I heard from them, it really kind of meant that the decision for the National Guard or additional police or specifically this National Guard was their decision. It didn't really go over to the leadership and wasn't even discussed on January 4th or on the 6th. It was mentioned, you know, as it was happening, but it wasn't something where there was accountability. And we went back and forth with this word optics. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts were. Do you think that McConnell or, or Nancy Pelosi uh, knew about these requests for additional security? Or, you know, where's the accountability? I mean, I hear this theory that you're thinking that the acting secretary of defense had a stand-down order and somehow this infiltrated down to the military, to the National Guard, not to get involved, to whatever generals or whatever. But I'm just looking at the house and protecting themselves, knowing that they've got this, you know, several thousand uh, mega rally out there. And that when you watched it, it wasn't that many uh, police along the perimeter. I mean, they were like one or two deep right. with those bicycle right. stands. So I just, it looked a little weak as, a, as someone trying to be looking this critically. And then to hear the testimony mm. today, you say, okay, these, they looked incredible. They looked honest. But it seems to me after 9-11, for all the fortification that that city went through, that there would be more than that and that only those three or four uh, gentlemen were the ones in charge of the entire security. And it didn't go. So are we are we looking are we being told look over here and not look at Nancy or look over here and not look at McConnell? Is that what this is all about? Well, Someone both Nancy
2: Pelosi all- and Mitch McConnell were calling everybody they could to get security. And and by the way, Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans in the House, called Donald Trump himself and begged for help. He said, they're smashing the windows to my office. They're coming to get me. And Donald Trump said, well, I guess they're more upset about the election than you are, Kevin. I mean, that's, you know, well, that is out I, I, there and I, is not, not being question. disputed my, by my anybody.
12: Question,
2: my question for you is, do you feel prior
12: when they were talking January 4th and the guy said I heard them cross-examine right. and say what about this optics and he kept coming back oh I don't saying, think
2: well, I don't think, think Pelosi or, or McConnell were involved in those politics. discussions I think they just they just assume that the Capitol Police and the Secret Service are going to keep them all safe
12: well it just appears that she's being absolved from any responsibility whatsoever and then we're hearing Nancy artist, Pelosi. Uh,
0: you I don't know, think she has
2: any responsibility whatsoever here. She's not in charge. I mean, you know, yes, she has oversight over the Capitol Police, but you know, you hire a police department and then you assume that they're going to do their job. Michael, I'm not willing to blame this on Nancy Pelosi. Jim in Minneapolis, hey Jim, you got thirty seconds. What's up?
12: Um, I was
10: wondering if they also have to safeguard against a Valkyrie type operation where you know supposedly Trump has this rally, but he also calls out the National Guard on his side, um, you know, and I, and I don't know why they couldn't have both safeguards for that and an actual effective security system for the So capital.
2: you mean, are you saying, Jim, that you think that it's possible that the Capitol police were afraid that if the National Guard came, they would come on behalf of Trump and make things worse?
5: I'm just saying that you have to have so that's not possible.
2: Right. Like uh, right.
5: like one day they, when they, when they assassinated uh, little bit part of that was, three, was yeah uh, no, getting... I, I get
2: it. I get it. We need to dig a lot deeper in this. Jim, thanks for for your call. and thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, same bad time, same bad channel. Don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active. There's so much to speak out about today. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow.